This morning, we're on the topic of remembering Jesus' births. And one of the questions that is often placed, one of the questions that we often find is that why should we celebrate Jesus' birth? Should Christians celebrate Jesus' birth? Well, many people around the world, especially in Muslim-dominated countries, don't celebrate it at all. In the Western world, we celebrate it on the 25th of December. While in Armenia and Lebanon, it's celebrated on the 6th of January. And in many other countries, from Egypt to Ukraine to Russia, they celebrate it on the 7th of January. In the early church, people celebrated Jesus' birth on the 6th of January. But they were coming up against another an old a non-christian pagan festival on the 25th of or the the end of December and they decided to well let's shift ours and do something different instead of this non-christian festival instead and so the date instead of celebrating Sol Victus to the sun god on the 25th of December Christians remember Jesus's birth some people have a problem with that because they think, well, if you're celebrating on the 25th of December, you're automatically celebrating the sun god. But, well, imagine if we decided to do something alternative for the kids at, a, at Halloween because you didn't want all the dark and the ghouly stuff and, and all of that. You wanted to do something different and you had a, a Christian event for the kids on the same date. Just because we're doing something on the same date doesn't mean we're doing the same thing. And similarly, celebrating Christmas back then on at the end of December wasn't necessarily joining in and everything that had been done before on that date. But it's a bit of a debate, should we or shouldn't we? We don't have to. And we, we, we don't not have to either. It's okay to celebrate Christmas, as long as we're not going in for the overindulgence, uh, the alcohol, the, you know, all that goes on at Christmas work parties this time of year that often end up in nightclubs and whatever, and all the, the, the materialism that goes on and the covetousness of what gifts people want people to buy them and, and all kinds of things that go on at Christmas time. If we can have a moderate not self-indulgent, family time, a holiday, where we also celebrate Jesus' birth. There's nothing wrong with that. Paul told the Colossians, so don't let anyone condemn you for what you eat or drink, or for not celebrating certain holy days, or new moon ceremonies, or Sabbath. It's okay if we don't celebrate it. But he also said, in the same way, some think one day is more holy than another, while others think every day is alike. You should each be fully convinced that whichever day you choose is acceptable. And those who worship the Lord on a special day do it to honour him. So at Christmas time, we, we remember Jesus' birth to honour him. It's highly unlikely, though, that he was born on the 25th of December or even on the 6th or 7th of January because it's almost certain that the shepherds weren't out in the fields with their flocks at that time of year. They would have been in down in the villages, keeping them more protected from the winter weather. So it's not Jesus' birthday. 
but we can celebrate his birth on this day, nevertheless. There's much which is good about Christmas time. And in the context of celebrating Jesus' birth, we can, we can have family back. We can meet friends of family. We can have time off together. It's good to have holidays. It's good to have times where we have celebrations together. So Christmas time is a, is a good time to do that. But often the message of Christianity can get lost. What started off as, as a bishop in Myra, Bishop of Myra in Turkey, a man who was of the name Nicholas, who was later canonized by the Catholic Church into becoming St. Nicholas, St. Nick or Santa Claus, as he's known in another language. I, think I can't remember, I think it's a Scandinavian language. Um, I'm not sure about that. But the whole thing about giving, where Nicholas was generous and he anonymously gave to some children who were in great need at Christmas time, that tradition has carried on. And it is great to do that. But it can end up with being more about commercialism. It can end up being more about what we want rather than what we give. But still, there's great things. It's great to see so many people being charitable at Christmas time. But in terms of the Christian side of Christmas, it's good not to let it get lost amidst all the celebrations, all the the lovely Christmas dinners and the socializing. It's good to remember why is Christmas important? The context of celebrating Jesus' birth at Christmas time is important. For some people, it's a nice little story. They go to a school nativity play, and there's this, all the little children are playing their part. And the story of Jesus being born, it's a nice little story. But the birth of Jesus was much more significant than that. It was much more important than that. For many people today, Christmas time is a time of just a holiday, a celebration. 25, 30, 40 years ago, people used to be saying, look, it's becoming so commercialized, Christmas. Now it's become so commercialized for so long that people are actually starting to say, look, look at them Christians. They're trying to bring religion into Christmas. (laughs) they just forgotten that we were celebrating Jesus' birth. And that's what it was meant to be all about for us for so long. Over these next three Sundays, I'd like to try and focus on the importance of Jesus' birth. Firstly, looking at the big picture today. With all the busyness around Christmas, we can tend to forget the importance of Christ's birth. And... Even when we do focus on it, we tend to focus on just uh, the circumstances that he was born in a very lowly situation. That he'd be placed in a manger, the little trough that the, the animals would eat out of because there, was, there wasn't enough room in the, the guest room for him. And we focus on just that story of his birth 
how Joseph and Mary had to travel from Nazareth to Bethlehem to get registered for the census. But the bigger picture is far more important. If we see Jesus' birth, not just in the circumstances of the difficult travel that was there, the lowly circumstances in which he was born, but if we see his birth, if we zoom out and if we look from the wider perspective of, of history, not just history over a couple of hundred years, but history from before the world began to after Christ will come again, to eternity in the future. The story of Jesus' birth didn't start just when the angel Gabriel came down and announced to Mary that she would have a, a child. It started for the Israelites, they became aware of it back at the time of Isaiah. Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14. The Lord says, after saying all these things, sorry, I was the wrong one. <laughs> Look, the virgin will conceive a child. She will give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel, which means God is with us. As the Israelites were struggling, they had gone into the promised land, but they really made a mess. They kept turning away from God and, and they were in a difficult situation. But God promises, I will come and be with you. Emmanuel, God with us. There is one who's going to come who will be God with you. And so there was that promise hundreds of years before the birth of Jesus that directly prophesied his birth. But even before that, God had a plan. Even before mankind was created, God had a plan that involved Jesus' birth. God had a plan in his own counsel within the Trinity. God had a plan. The theologians call it the covenant of redemption. God planned redemption before we even knew we needed it. They argue that since God is in control of everything, that he didn't, he didn't just make his mind up on the hoof after things had gone wrong. Everything was under his control. The hour for Jesus to suffer on the cross was planned long beforehand. He said, after <clears throat> teaching many things, Jesus looked up to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your son so he can give glory back to you. The hour has come means that it was planned beforehand. In saying that, he's telling us that God's plan was in place and it was working. Peter preached at Pentecost after Jesus had risen again from the dead, after the Holy Spirit came down in power upon them. There's plenty of room up here. People of Israel, listen, Peter said. God publicly endorsed Jesus, the Nazarene, by doing powerful miracles, wonders and signs through him, as you well know. But God knew what would happen and his prearranged plan was carried out when Jesus was betrayed. With the help of lawless Gentiles, you nailed him to a cross and killed him. 
His prearranged plan was carried out. God had a prearranged plan that included not only Jesus' death on the cross, but his birth. It was part of God's master plan to save people. Jesus' birth wasn't just about him and the circumstances he was born in. Jesus' birth was part of God's plan to be a redeemer. We needed to be saved because left our own devices, left our free will, we sinned. It was only a matter of time before we chose to sin, and we did. And now we're in the consequences of that. That brought judgment into the world. We're no longer in the Garden of Eden. We're no longer in paradise. It's cold. It rains. We struggle to make a living. These are all consequences and so much more of the fact that that we're not right with God. We turned our back on him, exercised our free will, we sinned. But God knew, and in his love and his mercy, he planned a way for us to be able to come back to him. Instead of simply being just and judging us, he postponed our judgment. And instead of us becoming righteous or being righteous by being perfect and never sinning, instead of being righteous in ourselves, God gave us a different way to be righteous. A way of being righteous through faith in Christ, of receiving righteousness as a gift. He was the only human being who lived a perfectly sinless life, who never sinned. And for us to become righteous... For us to receive the gift of righteousness, human righteousness, a human had to be righteous in our place. And so a righteous person had to live a perfectly righteous life, never sinning, for us to be given that righteousness as a gift. And for that righteousness to be available, to be given as a gift, Jesus had to be born and live that life. And for us to be redeemed, for us to be saved, for us to to have the gift of righteousness, Jesus had to live and live that righteous life. So his birth was essential, a part of that plan that God had made. Jesus had to be born, he had to live, he had to go to the cross, atone for our sin, he had to die And he had to be raised again from the dead so that we could die to sin and be raised to life in our spirit by the power of the Holy Spirit. Jesus was the Son of God before humanity began. It wasn't just that humanity came into the world and then God said, well, I'll have a son to be human beings to to save people now the whole idea of fathership fatherhood and sonship was already in god before we came on the earth the whole idea of fatherhood and sonship was part of the trinity the relationship between father and son alongside the holy spirit humanity is made in god's image the whole concept of parenthood and sonship and daughterhood is a reflection that we are made 
in the image of God. And so the Son existed. The Son of the Father existed long before we did. In the beginning, the Word already existed. The Word was with God and the Word was God. He existed in the beginning with God. God created everything through him and nothing was created except through him. If you've been familiar with the Nicene Creed that the early church put together to try and firm up on the the doctrines of the faith against some heresies that were going around at the time, you might be familiar with the, the phrase that Jesus was begotten, not made. And the thing that they were trying to communicate in that was that Jesus wasn't created like you and me. I mean, sometimes people look back and say, well, I remember when you were a glint in your mother's or father's eye. <laughs> Even before that, the, the thought of, you know, as a young child growing up, somebody may think, I'd love to get married. But a child was just a thought. But before that person existed, that thought didn't even exist. There was a time when we did not exist. And we weren't even a thought in somebody's mind. But there never was a time when Jesus didn't exist. He always was there. He always was from the Father. Begotten means of the same nature as. It doesn't mean that he came into being in some way different from being created. It means that he was of the same nature as the Father. He always was. And yet at the incarnation, at his birth, he took on our physical flesh, our physical body. He came and lived on earth. He walked in our shoes. He's familiar with all the temptations that we experience. And so he is able, as we're told, to identify with us, to sympathize with us. There's nothing we go through that in principle he hasn't gone through. And he has gone through it to a deeper extent than we do because, to use the analogy of a boxing ring, if we go into the boxing ring, I don't know about you, um, I mean, if you're a boxer, you could last a few more rounds than other people. But I'd be knocked out halfway through the first round. You know, somebody else might make it through to the second round and maybe somebody else through to the third. But Jesus made it all the way through to the end. And he took all that was put to him. All the temptations. He didn't give in to any of them. He wasn't knocked out by any of them. He's gone through it more than any of us could have. The big picture in relation to Jesus' birth is that God had a plan, a plan of redemption, the covenant of redemption, because we needed a saviour. And in God's grace and mercy to us, he has given us one. He has given us his son. Have you ever seen somebody lay the first cornerstone on a building? Maybe that's something they used to do in the past. If they wanted to mark a significant event in the building of some, a hospital or something, what they would do is the, the, the masons, the, the stone workers would get this perfect stone, would just 
be the cornerstone or the foundation stone, it will be a very significant symbol in our milestone in the building of this hospital or whatever it was. And they would get a lot of politicians, a lot of community people and newspapers and everybody around. And they'd make a big show of laying the foundation stone. But when you're building a hospital, laying the, you don't just have an idea, oh, let's get some stuff together. Let's put the first foundation stone in place. That's not where you start. If you're planning something like that, you need to get the architects, the engineers, the financers, all involved beforehand. You make the plans, you get the contracts signed. And when when you're putting that first foundation stone in place, that's a sign that that the project has moved from the planning stage into the first stage of reality. It's not finished yet. There's much to go. And later, sometime, it will be opened. So too, when it comes to our salvation, our redemption, all the planning have been done beforehand by God in eternity past. All the preparations have been laid. The, the nation of Israel was, in a sense, the, the mother that birthed the Lord Jesus. It prepared the way. The sacrificial system helped us to understand what the cross would be. The priesthood taught us that sacrifice was necessary. The kingship of the people taught us that we needed a true king because human kings were imperfect. In many different ways, the people of Israel in the Old Testament not only showed that God was calling people to himself, They were the people from whom the Saviour came. And in God's plan, even before we were born, the plan of of redemption, the covenant of redemption, it slowly started to take place more and more. And especially under Israel, it took a major step forward. The prophecies tell us about the birth of Jesus. But then Jesus was born. It's like the foundation stone in the building being put in place. But much still had to happen. Jesus was born. He would live that perfect life. He would die on the cross, be raised again. But yet that wasn't the end. Just like when you put the first floor of a building together, that hospital has its first floor. There's still more floors to go up. And then it needs to be kitted out with all the equipment. Well, God God is building his church at the moment. And we're in that building stage. And one day he will come again. Just like a hospital has a grand opening. We're going to have a grand opening. We're going to have the wedding feast of the Lamb. When all of God's people, the bride of Christ, come together. When he comes again. Jesus' birth was a historic milestone in God's eternal plan of salvation. Jesus' birth isn't just something that we look and say, oh, wasn't that nice, a little baby in a manger. Jesus' birth needs to be seen, not just zooming in on it like that. We need to zoom out and see it in the context of all eternity, of God's plan of redemption for us.
And yet, zooming into the need for the Messiah, if we zoom in a little bit more, we see that the first promise of the Messiah was in Genesis chapter 3 when (coughs) we're told that the enemy would strike your head and to the woman you will strike his heel in a very cryptic way. That isn't even enough to, to make out the gospel, but it has echoes of the gospel in it. It's not the evangel. They call it the proto-evangel. It's a forerunner of the gospel message, but it's a promise all the same. That first promise in Genesis 3 later was filled out, expanded through the prophets. And then we see what they were talking about. Jesus was born. And Handel's Messiah which, if you're familiar with it, it's just all Bible verses put to music. Those words that we read from Isaiah 9 are one of the most significant parts of it. For a child is born to us, a son is given to us. The government will rest on his shoulders and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. His government and its peace will never end. He will rule with fairness and justice from the throne of his ancestor David for all eternity. And the passionate commitment of the Lord of Heaven's armies will make this happen. The title's Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace are applied to Jesus. These are titles which are titles of God. The one everlasting father seems a bit, he's not the father, he's the son. But the idea is that, that it's hard to translate, but the concept is, is he is the one who gives eternal life. He is the one from whom eternal life comes. In a sense, he fathers eternal life for us. So it's not that he is the father, but he, in a sense, gives us eternal life. He's the everlasting father. And he's prince of peace. In Hebrew, <clears throat> that word shalom is not, it's often translated peace because we haven't got a better word in English to translate it. But that doesn't convey the whole sense of what the word means. Here, peace is often just a cessation of hostilities. People who are very much hostile to each other just stop the bombs and the bullets, the stones, the, and whatever, they're put to one side. But it doesn't mean that we're getting on okay with each other. And so too in many parts of the world. But that Hebrew sense of peace, that shalom, is much more than that. It's about reconciliation. It's about harmony. It's about unity. It's not only about peace on the streets, peace between people. It's about peace of mind, peace in our hearts as well. And so the peace that he brings is speaking about eternity ahead when there will be no more suffering, no more sorrow, no more sin, no more crying, no more pain, where God himself will wipe away the tears from our eyes as we read in Revelation chapter 21.
The prophecy to Isaiah was given when the people were going through turmoil, dark days. And yet, in a sense, we're all going through dark days. Even if things are materially going well for us, we have darkness naturally in our hearts. We have spiritual darkness in our souls. And we need to place our faith and trust in Jesus. We are going through spiritual dark days if we don't have him. The dire situation that the nation faced, they needed a redeemer. We are facing a dire situation because if we don't accept Jesus as our Savior and Lord, if we don't accept his mercy and grace to us now, then we will end up facing him as our judge and we will end up having to face an eternity of punishment for our sin. But God has postponed that day so that we can have more time to receive him as our saviour because we don't want him just as our judge. Mary rejoiced at the birth, at the promise of the birth of Jesus and so did Elizabeth. The shepherds rejoiced at the birth. Simeon and Anna rejoiced in the temple when they saw Jesus. Everyone who has come to know him as their Lord and Savior has rejoiced at the fact he was born, that he lived and he died for them. And he was raised and he now lives to intercede for us. We need him. We need him as our Savior. So at Christmas, when we, when we remember his birth, it's not just a birth of somebody 2,000 years ago. It's not just a nice story. It's not just an activity story for the children to do at school. It's a world-changing event. But we don't want it just to be an event that changed the world. We want it to be an event that changes our world for us to place our faith in Christ. So we can remember his birth with joy if we've trusted in him for forgiveness. We can celebrate this as one of the most significant events in human history alongside the cross, alongside his resurrection. Jesus needed to die so that we could be forgiven. He needed to be born to live a perfect life and his righteousness given to us by faith. He needed to live so that we can trust in him. And we need to trust in him so that we will live for eternity. So remembering Jesus' birth is significant at a number of levels. We're celebrating not just the birth of the Son of God. We're not just commemorating an important event. If you have trusted in Christ, where you're celebrating an event which has personal significance. If you haven't yet trusted him, do so without delay. Because you don't want Jesus to be your judge. You want him to be your savior on that day. You want to have the joy of living with him in your life now. You want to have the strength of the spirit to change you now into the person you want to be or ought to be. And so let's not delay. Let's not put off receiving his mercy now. Let's celebrate Jesus' birth and trust him for forgiveness of our sins and trust him 
so that not only was he born in this world, but by the Spirit we can be reborn in our world. We can come to spiritual life through faith in him and have the forgiveness of sins. Jesus' birth was part of God's cosmic plan of redemption. But we just don't want to look at it externally. We want to experience it in our hearts. Place your faith in him if you haven't before. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you that you were obedient to the point of death on the cross out of love for us. Lord, we haven't loved you, but you have loved us first. And so if we love you, Lord, it's because you have loved us and drawn us to you. Lord, we pray that you would keep leading and guiding more and more people to place their faith in you. And that as we remember your birth this Christmas time, we would do do so knowing its eternal significance. Lord, help us to give you thanks and praise for your plan of salvation. And help us, Lord, to give you thanks and praise that this is something we can experience too now. Through faith in Jesus. Amen.